over the years, God has given us very key prophetic words that have really spoken into the life of the church and informed some of the direction and the things that we're holding out for, for God's promises. And um, six weeks ago, I was busy ironing, that are not my favorite job. I was busy ironing, and I, I put my um, Spotify playlist on, and I was listening to some worship music and singing along while I was ironing. And suddenly, in the mid- middle of a song, this voice started speaking through my headphones, and I could hear someone preaching, and I thought, I thought, who's changed my playlist? I was very annoyed. And I looked down on my phone, and for some other reason, it had just flipped to a sermon. And I, as I looked on my, at the podcast, it was a sermon that was preached at Forest Town Church 10 years ago by Greg Haslam from Westminster Chapel in London. And I don't know why, in the middle of my ironing session, this sermon just suddenly popped up. But as I started listening, I thought, my goodness me, this is God speaking to us right now. And I remember when he preached that sermon 10 years ago, and I remember thinking it was a very good word, but it didn't resonate with me. It didn't feel like this was really what God was doing in our church at the time. But as I began to listen, I thought, this is a word for right now, for 2021. And uh, you know what is so amazing is I think, um, I really think that was a supernatural thing, that God wanted to bring my attention to this particular word. Um, so I, I felt this morning, as we're looking at this theme of family matters, I wanted to entitle my sermon, The Tipping Point, which is really the the name of the title of the sermon that Greg preached all those years ago. And I just felt to unpack something of the things that he brought for us to understand how does that apply to us as a church today. You know, in Thessalonians, uh, Paul says that we are to never quench or despise prophecy. Uh, And one of the ways that we can do the opposite, where we can cherish the prophetic when it comes to us, is that we can look at it and Um, go through it and make sure that we are applying it in our lives. And that's something of what I'd like to do. You know, in the years since Greg Haslam preached in our church, that was um, this message, um, the tipping point was preached in February 2012. Um, In those years, he subsequently developed a very severe pancreatitis. After preaching in India, he got some bacteria that... um, ate away at his pancreas, and very sadly, in the last few years, he's actually developed an early onset of dementia. But I can say that Greg's ministry and the many books that he's written has been such a gift of God to the church in the UK and and in the world. He's had a world ministry and a really true prophetic voice, and I really want to say we've been privileged to have the fruits of his ministry. So, as I said, I've entitled this word, uh, The Tipping Point, because I feel that it's something of what God is saying for this season now in the challenges we are facing in our lives and in the world at large. So, when I talk about this word, tipping point, maybe some of you are familiar with that, but in, in Greg's message, how he explained it, he said that 
With military strategists, they use this term in an unresolved conflict when the in a, in a battle, the balance of power begins to shift to one side, and then a tipping point begins to happen where there's an irrevocable change, and it's so certain that one side is definitely going to win the battle or win the war. It's like the, the tide has changed, and there's no going back. And you see a similar word used, um, tipping point, with nuclear physicists when they talk about coming to a critical mass in a nuclear chain reaction when the bombarding of radioactive particles continue until the chain is triggered. And chain reactions can be stopped at any point, but after a certain point, they are unstoppable, as is in the case of something like the H-bomb. And there's no way to reverse it from that time onwards. So essentially, a tipping point is most often used at a critical juncture where unstoppable change takes place. And I want to say there's so many parts in our society today, in 2021, where there are factors tending towards a tipping point in terms of cultural norms and attitudes. Uh, we sing it in climate change concerns, and even as people are hoping that there's going to be a tipping point with COVID as well, that we're going to reach herd immunity, that we're going to tip over from, from this place of uh, uh, social distancing so that we can go to a place where there is a, a herd immunity in the, in the community. So that is a tipping point that takes place. But in this word to Forest Town Church, uh, Greg unpacked the story of how the church was birthed in Acts 1. And he explored the ways and the factors that led to a tipping point of the early church being galvanized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I would like to explore today how some of those things are relevant and relate to us as a church community. So I'm just going to read to you from Acts chapter 1, uh, just from verses 1 to 9. I'm not sure if that's going to come up, um, but I'll read it to you. In my former book, this is uh, Luke, the Apostle Luke writing, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? For 40, Jesus didn't come back from the dead and then just stay around for a week or so. He stayed for over a month, meeting with people, eating with them. There was no doubt that he had come back from the dead. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift of my father, that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends 
of the earth. So one of the first parts of moving towards a tipping point, of moving towards that place where God becomes so powerful and releases his power into his church is the thing of waiting expectantly. It often takes many years and transitions for churches to come into the promises that God has for them. And there's times when we are just kept waiting far longer than we expected we would have to. If you think about the fact that Greg gave this word nearly 10 years ago, (laughs) and here God has surfaced it 10 years later, I want to say for your lives, perhaps God has given you a promise. God has spoken something over your life. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to. You know, our economy and God's economy of timing is very, very different. Um, One day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day for God. He does things in his wonderful wisdom and in his time. And it's not that our faith dies when we are in this place of expectant waiting, but we might just get puzzled about why we have to wait this long at all. And sometimes what happens is that we can enter into a wilderness experience when we are not yet where we are headed to. And certainly, I would, if I reflect back on those years after Greg brought this word, I think us as a church went into a wilderness period of lots of testing and sifting that was very difficult. But now we are beginning to see this moving towards this tipping point. We're seeing a momentum and a growth in what God is doing. I... um, think that one of the things that God, when he sends us dreams or prophetic words, he doesn't always tell us how long because he wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. Um, I remember the first time, I think I was 21 years old, when I caught the ferry from Dover across to Calais. And it was such an exciting trip as a young person. I went across to Europe with some friends. And uh, I remember seeing the white cliffs of Dover and we climbed onto the ferry and uh, it was very choppy. Most of the people were sitting in the toilets puking most of the time. It wasn't a great trip on that side. But, but we, we left Dover and we were going across and we, as we, the further we got and we looked back, we saw those white cliffs fading and fading in the distance. And very soon we were in the middle of the channel and we couldn't see land on that side And we couldn't see the French coast on the other side. But if you went up to the top deck um, on top of the ferry where the bridge was, where the captain directs and pilots the ship from, you could see a big screen on on the bridge with the radar. And all around the radar, you could see these little blips of ships that were, you couldn't see with your own eyes, but the radar could see where the ships were so that the, the ferry could be navigated through a safe passage. And after a while, on the radar, you could see the outline of the French coast. If you looked with your natural eye, you couldn't see it. But there it was on the radar, foretelling that this is where we are going. That is what we're going to see. And that's a bit like walking by faith. That's a bit like how the prophetic works. God tells us by his spirit that there is something on the horizon. There is something coming. We might not see it with our physical eyes yet, but by faith we begin to walk towards those things that God is is showing us. I believe that 
um, in Forest Town at the moment, as we're thinking about where we are in this journey, I really believe that there's a growing momentum in people's lives and in this church. I feel like something is afoot. <laughs> there is as if God is stirring. He's moving us towards that coastline, towards that tipping point where he's going to do something wonderful as we listen to the voice of his spirit, that radar communication that he gives us by faith. But the truth is, also, that times of transition can be very, very challenging times. There's that time between the beginning and the fulfillment of what God says he will do. In Acts 1, we have the disciples approach at, at a tipping point, and they are doing exactly what God asked them to do. They are waiting. He said, wait in Jerusalem till you receive power on high. Massive traumas and change and upheaval had hit the twelve, and they were full of uncertainties about the future. They had no dates in mind. They didn't know what, when God said, wait, what that meant or how long that would be, but that's what they were doing. They were in a critical mass of God's dealings with them. And sometimes when it's God's timing, we can feel impatient because it's not our timing. And we can start to speculate about the circumstances and about what God really said. And it can be at this time that sometimes even false prophetic voices come with very many dogmatic predictions, like happened in Acts 1 verse 6, where they started saying, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time? Are you going to throw out the Romans at last, and then we can advance and they really got confused by the socio-political context they were in and forgot that the kingdom of God was not about overthrowing the Romans. And it's tempting for us too, as we're in the midst of a pandemic and many cultural shifts around us, uh, that we begin to make these things our causes rather than seeing through the lens of what God is doing in our time in history and focusing on his kingdom. One of the people I really greatly admire, admire is Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I don't know if you know him. He was a, a Russian novelist. Uh, he only died in 2008. I think he was born in um, 1918. But he fought in the Red Army when Russia invaded Germany uh, after the Second World War. And he became an outspoken critic of Stalin and his ruthless methods. And as is the case, he was thrown into prison in the gulags. And it's from this place of extreme suffering that he wrote some of his greatest works. And one of the things that Alexander remarked on was the difference in attitude between those who were able to survive the harshness of the gulags and those who didn't. And he noticed that those who had a particularly rose-tinted view of the world uh, really found the idea of struggle and suffering to be so counter to their worldview that they really struggled to adapt in those harsh surroundings. Whereas the others that saw suffering as a matter of fact, part of life, found a resilience in persevering through the challenges of their circumstances. 
And we see a resonance of this in 1 Peter 4, where Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Uh, I don't know if any of you personally know, maybe some of you here are, have been a soldier in the SAS. I don't know, maybe you have. But it's a highly disciplined military uh, position. And the, the soldiers in the SAS are often called minute men because they have to be available on such short notice for whatever they're called to do. They have literally two hours to get from wherever they are to the military base before they are sent out into wherever they may be called to go in the world. And if a call came, you had to have all your kit ready, everything, you had to be combat ready and turn up at headquarters immediately within those two hours. In a way, as we are waiting with expectation for the promises of God to unfold, for that tipping point to come, we need to be like those soldiers. We need to be combat ready to follow the promptings of God when they come. You see, waiting with expectation after God has spoken is not being idle, it's not being distracted, and it's not complaining about the status quo. It's about being in a place of battle readiness, being expectant and ready for the suddenness of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've often found that when God moves, he does it suddenly. You wait and you wait and you wait. And then suddenly, he just starts to do amazing things. And God has spoken to us many times as a church that we are in a place of preparation to be ready. And Joseph, if you have that, I don't know if you got the first of those slides. Thanks, Joe. Um, before Greg Haslam came, he actually, in 2010, he gave us this word. He said, I see a picture of an engine locomotive in the railway siding. It's being repaired and restored. Do not be impatient with my processes as I put things in place to strengthen and build you for all I have in store for you. Isn't that amazing that even before he came, he had this other word that God is getting us ready. And then six years later, Andrew Ollerton, some of you might not, might not know these names, but they're wonderful men that have ministered in our church. He came and he had a picture of a steam engine. I love it when God just confirms and uses almost the same imagery. And uh, Andrew said, he, God showed me a picture of a steam locomotive that was going around and round on a circular track as if it was readying itself for a great journey. Then I saw the track open out in a straight line And the train went off boldly with much power on the journey that had been prepared for it. Forest Town Church, God is getting us ready. And we're not going around in circles. We're getting ready with power to go out into what God has for us. And now we see the second part of this, one of the things that contributes to a tipping point in verses 6 and 7. It says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive 
power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, when God gives the prophetic, he doesn't give us a roadmap. <laughs> he doesn't say, well, it's good. this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. He doesn't do that. But what he does promise us is something even more wonderful. He says, I'll give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit, and you are going to be able to hear my heart, understand what I want to do, and you are going to have power to be my witnesses. That's what we want as a church. I just felt such an amazing presence of the Holy Spirit here this morning. God is wanting to do that. He's wanting to stir in us more of his spirit. He was, he's wanting to release more of his gifts. I believe God's going to give gifts of discernment to some, and there's going to be gifts of just being able to speak with boldness. Maybe you're the most shy person here. I believe the Holy Spirit is coming to give great boldness to stand firm in the things that he has for us to speak out, to bring light and hope to a very broken world. God is preparing us as individuals, but he's also preparing us as a community. Um, at King's College in London, there's a, an author called Andrew Walker. He's a scholar there, and he wrote a book on the restoration movement on the sociology of social renewal within the church when God starts to move. And he coined these six degrees of renewal or revival. And it's really interesting how God works because he studied these in all across church history. Whenever God begins to move and to change, these things happen. And the first thing is that there is a spiritual quickening in the life of the believer. Have you ever had that in your life? If you think back, suddenly there's a passion inside you. There's a fervor and there's a joy in the Holy Spirit. That's one of the first signs. And the second one is that as the church continues to meet faithfully, more and more people want to come, and there's a sense of an enlivening where believers and unbelievers are affected. And then we see many getting saved, and there's an unplanned, sustained time that we don't orchestrate. You know, I, I'm very nervous when people orchestrate a revival and say, we are going to have a revival. <laughs> it, it doesn't really work like that. These are divine things that God moves his church towards a tipping point, and then he releases something by his spirit in his wisdom. And then very often what that leads to is a city or region-wide um, enlivening or experience of new life with widespread conversions. And then we see on another level, as happened in the Welsh revival, that there can be a whole societal and cultural awakening. And historians would say that in the 1700s, when uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield began to preach and they saw so many people saved, that that was the exact same time that the French Revolution was happening in France. And we were spared a revolution in this nation because of that revival, because people turned to God instead of to violence. And it is an amazing thing how when God does a work, it not only impacts individuals, but whole society begins to impact, be impacted. And then um, Andrew Walker suggests that the third, the, the sixth thing is that there's a possible reversal of secularization <clears throat> through the revival of Christianity on a huge scale, which could impact a whole nation. Well, I mean, that 
you, when you read that, you think we are on the opposite scale, aren't we? We're in the decline of Christianity, <laughs> supposedly, and everyone is saying Christianity is, is a has-been thing, but God is not perturbed. <laughs> God is not upset. He has his plan, and he knows what he's doing. He can do anything within our society. I'm going to just um, mention the last two little things. And then the next thing that helps towards the tipping point, so the first one was that waiting with eager expectation. The second is allowing the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us and to fill us. And the third thing is the preaching of the Word of God. Because I believe that when a church is about to experience a move of God, the Word of God becomes more and more central and is revered and taught and applied. And over the last 10 years, we have intentionally made the preaching of God's word, the exposition of scripture, not speaking our, our ideas, the exposition of scripture as central to our, our meetings and a plumb line for how we build and lead this church. And we believe that the gospel message of Paul's in his letters where he brings us to the place of understanding God's grace so that we live out of a place of not under compulsion, because we're no longer under the law, but out of walking in step with the Spirit. We are not under condemnation. There's this wonderful joy that we want everyone to understand. Uh, Brian Edwards, he wrote a book called Revival, A People Saturated with God. And he said this. He said, I've never come across a single instance of revival coming to churches who are liberal in theology and deny the inspiration of God's word. And Greg Haslam said this in his sermon. He says, what is important to God becomes important to us. When God's word takes on a new importance in churches, it becomes a launch pad for what God wants to do as preaching comes with great power and authority. I believe that even for, for us as a church and for our individual lives, when we almost begin to marinate, if I can use that word, ourselves in the word of God, we, we allow to saturate us, we allow to inform us, it will begin to transform how we think, it will transform what we value, it will transform our attitudes and our priorities. And how much more don't we need that when we're tackling so many things that are coming and assaulting us in our world today? In the 1700s, uh, I mentioned George Whitfield. He grew up in the Bell Inn in Gloucester. Uh, and he went to Oxford when he was 18 years old where he met John Wesley. And they formed what was called the Holy Club. And uh, they, were, they were kind of mocked and teased and they were they were given the nickname the Methodists, which you might be familiar with. <laughs> and during his time as an undergraduate, he went through the whole Bible from Genesis to Exodus with six volumes of Matthew Henry's commentary. I don't know, do you know Matthew Henry? Just the most amazing commentary if you ever want to study the Bible. And he went through the whole Bible on his knees and he looked at every single verse all the way through to Revelation. And he understood the themes of Scripture and the overarching message of the Word. And what came out of that young man, he was only 18 when he started that, was that as he started, God gave him this preaching ministry, as he began to preach, 
thousands and thousands of people came to Christ because he was a young man saturated in the word of God. Isn't that exciting? I believe that we've got George Whitfields in this church. I believe that whether you're old or young, we are going to see George Whitfields that love the word of God and begin to see people's lives change as they begin to speak out of the overflow of what they're studying. I really hope that we'll become a people saturated with the word of God instead of imbibing on the hollow philosophies of social media. (laughs) Junk. (laughs) The word of God is so powerful. When I was a little girl of nine years old, I got saved and I made a vow to God that the word of God would be my, my diet, my staple, the, the thing that would feed me. And it has never left me. It is the most powerful thing to change our lives. And I just love the word of God. And the fourth thing I just want to mention is Unity. Because we read in Acts 1, verse 13 to 14, that all the disciples were together upstairs in the room, together with Jesus' mother Mary. They were old and young. There were men and women. There were experienced disciples and new believers like Matthias. There was James and Jude who had recently come to faith. So all together, they were there waiting for what God said they should wait for. They didn't know what it was going to be, but they were waiting. And they were all in growing agreement and experiencing a mutual delight in each other. They were eager for each other's success. They were overflowing in love and sympathy for each other. Relationships, friendships, comradeships, partnerships. These are the only ships the Holy Spirit sails in. You see, when churches are fragmented and there's strained relationships and people won't talk to each other anymore, the Holy Spirit is grieved and nothing happens anymore. But when God brings healing to relationships and he brings unity that only he can bring, and we've been through that as a church. We've had times where it's been very painful and sore. But when the Lord brings healing, when he brings unity, it is the sweetest, sweetest thing. And then we begin to discern that we are at a tipping point. It's not only faith expectancy, but unity that's vitally important. You see, the church isn't a club. Uh, It's not just a nice place to hang out. It's the genuine church of Jesus can't be explained away because it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We know Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, for there the Lord commands a blessing. Isn't that amazing? God commands a blessing when our hearts are in unity with one another. And I want to say, in these times where there are so many polarizing opinions It's so easy for us to take offense with each other, but there's so much more at stake when we sacrifice unity. What we also sacrifice is the good that God wants to do and the many lives that he wants to save. He wants to mobilize this church. He wants to move us into the fullness of what he has, and he wants us to be together in a unified spirit to do that. 
And I just want to say also, we, we, when we share our values, I know we shared this in our, our grounded course, but one of the things that the way that we promote unity is that we just have a zero tolerance of gossip in this church. Gossip is from the pit of hell. I, I absolutely hate it. And it says in Proverbs 17 verse 10, it says, he who covers and forgives an offense seeks love, but he who repeats or gossips about a matter separates intimate friends. It's just ugly and it doesn't build unity. So we choose as a church, as a value, we choose to believe the best about each other, to honor each other's reputations as our own. We please the Holy Spirit and he commands a blessing over us. And there's another slide, Joseph, um, of a Charlotte Ollerton, Andrew's wife, gave us this picture of a, a beautiful cake um, that had been carefully and lovingly made. And then she said she saw God put a glass dome over the cake and felt that God, what God is building and doing at Forest Town Church, he will watch over and protect so that no harm may come to it. Let us nurture, let us tend our relationships as he builds us and readies us for the harvest. And I just want to end with these last two things. Um, Joseph, can you go to the next slide? Um, in 2018, Ant and I had the privilege of going on holiday to Portugal. Do you remember that, those days when you could fly to Portugal? <laughs> Uh, anyway, we were walking along the beach, and right on the, on the side where you could swim, there was this huge boat just in the shallows, um, right in the, on, on the beach where people were swimming. And as we walked past this beach, I just felt God say um, that this church has been in the season of being in the shallows and in the safe place, but God is readying us for deeper water um, there would be some that would want to keep us in the shallows because sometimes that's nice and comfortable. But God says he's fashioned this church into an ocean-going vessel that will navigate the high seas as he's calling us to a place of greater influence and effectiveness. And I just believe, just as I'm saying that, I just felt the Holy Spirit say there's some of you that God is going to open doors of influence getting emotional. Kevin, God is going to open doors for you. I just, as I saw you, God is going to open doors with your writing that's going to exceed beyond what, you, what you've even been dreaming. You wait with eager expectation for what God is going to do. God is going to do amazing, amazing things. He's taking us into deeper water. And he's fashioned us into a vessel that will weather the storms because we're going to do great things in his name. God is getting us ready. So when we talk about things, about family matters, when we talk about our society, it's not that we have to be on the back foot. It's not that we have to be afraid. But God has given us love. God has given us his power. He's given us courage. And I'm just going to end off. We're going to break bread together. But I'm just going to end off. At the end of the sermon that I was listening to on my podcast, Greg just begins to pray a blessing over Forest Town Church. And uh, I want to read what he prayed over us. 
because it's so amazing. It just ties in with that, what I've just read, that God spoke to us in 2018. And I honestly do not remember any of the sermon until I looked at it. Uh, it's just amazing. But this is what he speaks, and I'm going to speak it over. He says, write the gospel through us. Bless Aunt and Helen and the elders. Bless the leaders and the congregation. Bless the youth and the children. God has done that. God is doing that. We pray, Father, that you're going to send special seasons of visitation of the presence of the Lord. We saw a glimpse this morning. You're going to build this church. You're going to make it an influence. You're going to give it profile. You're going to use their lives to impact others and this town. People are going to know that there is a living God in this city. We've just planned a time with all the pastors to come for breakfast in a few weeks' time. God is doing something. I didn't know this. I didn't read that when we planned that. Churches are going to come alive in you in a corporate unity and a passion for Jesus, a passion for souls. Holy Spirit, anoint us all and wean us off idols and distractions and focus us upon yourself and your resources, the burden of your own heart. Don't let us be like Jonas who ran away from you, but let us be servants of God who are running for you and after you and will do anything you ask us to do. To the glory of God. Amen. Amen.